You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Hi, and welcome to another supplemental episode of Women at Warp. This is Sue. A couple weeks ago at New York Comic Con, Kennedy and I teamed up with Elio from Priority One for Roddenberry Podcasts Presents Star Trek's Guide to Community, and we're about to play a recording of that panel. If you'd like to follow along with our slides, a PDF can be found in our show notes at womenatwarp.com. We hope you enjoy the panel. Hello and welcome to Roddenberry Podcasts Presents Star Trek's Guide to Community. Uh, My name is Sue. I'm one of the hosts of Women at Warp. And I will let my panelists introduce themselves. Mi nombre es Elio. I do a podcast uh, called Priority One. Hi, my name is Kennedy. I am also on Women at Warp. And uh, we're all part of the Roddenberry Podcast Network, or Roddenberry Podcasts, depending on where it's written. Uh, There are several other shows on the network, but we all, uh, well, many of us, not all anymore, many of us talk about Star Trek and in a lot of different ways. Um, Do we we have listeners now in the room? Do we have... Nice, nice. Sweet. Excellent. Hello. So Women at Warp tends to discuss Star Trek from an intersectional feminist perspective. Our tagline is intersectional diversity and infinite combinations. And And Priority One's a weekly news review show, so we cover all the headlines that happen in the Star Trek multiverse uh, every Friday. You'll get it on your whatever podcast app you've got. Plus, we do interviews with, uh, we do a lot of focus on Star Trek gaming, so we've got a really good relationship with uh, Cryptic Studios, who does Star Trek Online, uh, and we do reviews on uh, the latest episodes of uh, Trek. So let's get right into it. When we're talking about Star Trek's Guide to Community, what do we mean by community? What does it mean, panelists? A whole bunch of friends. To join a community, to be part of a community, to have responsibilities to a community. Yeah, the responsibilities is, I think, the part that people tend to overlook. Mm. Um, they think that just because you can convene with a bunch of like-minded people who like the same things that you like, that you can act however you want to act, and that's not how it goes. Um, that might have worked in kindergarten, perhaps, <laughs> you know, as late as fifth grade for some folk, but as adults, you know, we all need to take responsibility for how we conduct ourselves um, and how you know we behave not only around ourselves but among other people and I think that is something to note nowadays because we've been alone by ourselves for a long time so I think all of us kind of need to be mindful of what it means to be in a community and I think we've we've all turned to virtual communities right like especially now during the pandemic and I mean you know it doesn't matter how far you you know you can go incredibly far back and there have always been trolls, right? So it's, you know, the importance of being a part of, especially virtual communities, whether gaming or just on Star Trek Twitter, is what can, what precedence has Star Trek given us in their storytelling that helps us kind of be better members of that community, right? So we'll look at some episodes and uh, then talk about our own communities and and whatnot. Yeah, for me, I think... um when we we're talking about community, we're talking about a place that we fit, a place that we feel comfortable, a place that we feel safe. Uh, but as Kennedy said, that doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities to it. Every member of a community has a responsibility to every other member in that community to to help move it forward, to help make it, uh, in the way we're talking about it, more inclusive, more welcoming, and to, to just bring it forward and to, to work on the health of that community, to make sure that everyone feels as comfortable and as safe as you want to feel. So let's, 
These, these two don't know what order I put our episodes in. So Wait a minute. we're going to talk it, it, about you some You changed things. it up? I might have changed it up. I don't know. It was midnight. It was oh. late. <laughs> it's like a grab so, bag. Uh, before we quite get right to our Star Trek examples, I just wanted to bring up a uh, Roddenberry quote. This is the one that we saw at the end of season three of Discovery, where we're all just trying to reach out and communicate. And real communication during our lifetime is very fortunate. I obviously paraphrase that, but it's right there up on screen. So, are you ready? Let's talk some examples. We're going to start with Darmok. Darmok at Tanagra, when the walls fell. Right? We all know what that means at this point because we've seen this series and seen the episode several times. But have we sit there and really dissect what this episode was about and the, the obstacles that Picard was able to overcome is really something remarkable. Um, we talk about being able to converse with people who like the same things that we do, even conversing with people who don't like the same things that we do. There's still an element of rudimentary understanding that we have just from like a grammatic linguistic point of view. Imagine trying to reach common ground with somebody that not only has only had limited interactions with everyone that you've ever known, but also speaks in a completely different way than you do. Um, the, in watching this episode again, because I can never get enough, um, I, the biggest theme overall that I saw was patience and the, willing to, the willingness to suspend disbelief for just a moment. Right In the 21st century, we've become very, very reactionary with how we interact with people, um, jumping to conclusions, uh, dying on these hills, and, and some people deserve it, right? Some people in comments deserve to be dragged from here to Broad Street, which is a lot farther now because I'm not in Philly. But my point is, some people deserve it, right? But there are some people who have difficulty expressing themselves. And the, the true challenge comes in being able to discern between the two. And in this case, you know, Captain Dathan wasn't trying to be a jerk. He wasn't trying to separate Picard from his crew. He wasn't trying to start nothing, wasn't going to be nothing. Because <laughs> all he really wanted to do was communicate. And he saw how important that necessity to communicate was that he was willing to sacrifice his life for it and ended up doing so anyhow. Um, but the coolest thing about this episode is not only the fact that you know, Picard actually does real life moderation and interpretation and translation, but his crew is doing the same thing as well. So I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Counselor Troy in this episode for really figuring out how the Tamarians, Tamarians, depending on which series you are, how you pronounce it, depending on, uh, figuring out how the Tamarians communicated with each other and how to best communicate with them as well. So, so P. Stewart didn't have to come back, and that's what I call him. You know, Uncle Patrick Stewart? P. Stewart? Uncle Patrick? P. Stewart didn't have to come back to the ship <laughs> and explain to his crew how to communicate and then hopefully get in touch with the crew and figure stuff out as well. So I think that's a great example of um, learning patience and uh, getting over your own BS so that you have the ability to communicate with somebody who might not be the best communicator. And I say this to me as well because I can be a little pew pew when it comes to blocking people. I love a good block party. <laughs> any, any other, anything you all want to add about? I think it's interesting you bring up uh, the way we can listen to people even if we don't agree. Mm. Right, and we're, when we're trying to figure out how to communicate with each other, uh, we're up here talking from the perspective of our podcast. One of the the comments, one of our biggest bits of feedback yeah. that that we get from time to time is that uh, well, 
you all just have the same opinion. You don't disagree with each other. And that, that has always confounded me because we absolutely do. I'm about to say, it's so not true. We totally disagree. We just do it and we, respectfully. We, we don't fight with each other. And I think that's what people think a disagreement is, is an argument. And a disagreement can be, I hear what you're saying, but I feel this way. Right. And I think that's a, a healthier way to, to look at a disagreement, especially if you claim to be part of the same community. Right. Okay, great. This is you. Oh, it's me. All right. <laughs> Aren't you glad that it's not Boimler Spread Eagle? <laughs> so uh, this is Lower Decks episode I excretus. Um, is everybody mostly caught up with Lower Decks here? I really hope so. because I'm. <laughs> spoiler! Red alert! Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so over the course of the, these two seasons, uh, there has been a clear uh, separation between the Lower Decks and the bridge crew. Right? And... Quite often, they're, uh, it's quite contentious between, between the two groups. Uh, I Excretus was a very excellent episode in that it forced the two to do a bit of a role reversal, right? And more often than not, comparatively, when we're on a, you know, on a Twitter thread or a comment section on Reddit or whatnot, uh, it's very easy not... It's very easy to uh, stay siloed in our own opinions and mentality versus kind of trying to think about the other perspective. Um, there was a scene, there's a scene at the, you know, towards the, the second or third act where Mariner and her mother have a conversation about, oh, you know, this was all about, oh, this was about team building. This is about being able to... So pure. <laughs> right. This is about being able to be in the other's shoes and for the bridge crew be reminded what it, what, what it was like to be uh, lower decks and for the lower decks to get a taste of what it is to, to experience command and high pressure situations. Um, again, comparatively, you know, if there's one thing that, that New Trek has done is that it's made people vocal. Right, and uh, whether or not you love the show, whether or not you have your criticisms about it, um, it's often, or can seem to feel much like Lower Decks and Bridge Crew, right? Um, where there is a very big disconnect between the opinions of what we have with New Trek. So when applying it to our own communities, again, it's important to kind of you know, take that step back, right? Instead of those memes where it's you're late at night waiting for somebody to reply and you just, you're, you're waiting to respond back to the troll. Um, so long as, you know, the, 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 your, the opposing opinion is not egregious, is not racist, is not bigoted, you know, maybe, maybe consider looking at the episode in a different perspective, Right, looking at it a different way. And I struggle with this significantly because I am incredibly critical of new Star Trek. No. I very much so. No. And and being on and, and hosting a podcast um, has pushed me to be a better critic. Right? That those 120 characters on Twitter sometimes aren't enough. Mm -mm. And it's important to Think about what it is you are being critical about with respect to the show. Now, the three of us are artists, right? Like, we've done art, like performing art or whatnot, right? And so for me, when I look at uh, Star Trek, 
I'm looking at it as somebody criticizing art, right? People disagree, and that's a-okay. That's 100% fine. More, more often than not, my co-hosts on the show disagree. They you know, love Star Trek, and, oh, you're just coming down too hard on it. But again, what an episode like I Excretus teaches us is, all right, let me share my view, my opinion, my, my constructive criticism, and now let me hear yours. And maybe you might change my mind. Maybe not. Maybe I'm going to appreciate the episode a little differently uh, than you might. Um, but I think I, I excrete us, um, Boimler spread eagle aside. Uh, it's the best part, yo. What are you no, talking it's about? not. What are you talking oh, about? No. I would love to see Boims. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, well, you get to see Boims. Look at Boims. I just can't handle the discourse on that. Just. And it did the word discourse. Just take it away from me. <laughs> yeah, and apparently there's like a thing. Like apparently Trek Twitter was like mad oh, yeah. because yeah, yeah, Trek yeah, Twitter is real mad. Trek Which when you look at like the scope of the Trek universe and how many, I don't know about you all, but my first cheekage I saw on Star Trek. So if it wasn't cheekage, it was moose knuckle. Like there was all types of like insinuated, <laughs> yes, yes, exposed yes. body parts oh, yeah. that I oh, yeah. saw on Star Trek for the first time. So... I'm shocked that they blacked it out, to be honest. Right. And, and what, I'm, what I'm also shocked about is everyone's upset about Boimler's nugs, and they're not upset about the fact that What's-His-Face was riding Ransom and beating with the Horgon. Like, that's... Can we talk about that for a second? So, all right, fun. here's an example. Maybe, an ex- maybe not. So, <laughs> we don't want to talk about it? Here's yeah. an example, right? I, I have a different opinion about that, that scene, right? So, I, you are 100% right. I completely... Star Trek has never... Um, Star Trek has always, and, and Enterprise is an excellent example of this, oh, yeah. of sexualizing, hypersexualizing women, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have the you know grotesque, like we gotta wipe each other down for the antibacterial. Oh yeah, decon. So from my from <laughs> my perspective, like why I didn't appreciate that scene was that it felt like shock value, right? I I, I don't mm-hmm. really appreciate shock value performances, right? If you're doing it just to shock the audience. I, it doesn't. It doesn't do much for me, right? Interesting. And so, with this, with I excretus, for example, that scene, it felt more like shock value instead of a like. It felt like trolling Star Trek instead of a commentary that hey, that was that's not cool. The naked time, the things that went on in Enterprise, like not cool. Interesting. I have more problems that's with them trying to force sexuality on someone who was clearly Ace Arrow like Billups than I do about seeing Boimler's Nugs. I have a lot to say about Billups, but that's not the episode we're talking about. Okay, great. (laughs) But this is a really good example of shit that... That That, that conversation. conversation, right? Instead of, you know, going on Twitter and just... This sucks. Mm-hmm. That doesn't do anything, right? That doesn't really. You all are ruining ex- Trek. That when I was young, we had open misogyny, and it was fine. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, it, nor does it help the creators, right? Yeah. Nor does it help the creators of Star Trek who are looking for some guidance of what the community's thinking. Oh, when we get to community, well, we're speaking on community rather. Um, the other thing I love about Lower Decks—it's not this episode in particular, but just a couple episodes before there, uh, the our. Fab Four are on the collector ship, oh. uh, and the the whole argument about who's going to be in charge, and the two people fighting over being in charge have the same leadership style, mm-hmm. and they finally learn to appreciate the leadership and the input of the rest of their team. And that's the episode that really stuck out to me, me so far this season, is how they're learning 
they really are as, as a group learning to be part of a team and learning to take a back seat when it's not your expertise. Right. And I think all of us, especially those of us sometimes who get up here and give our opinions, have uh, a time adjusting to that. That maybe this one isn't for me. Let me listen to somebody else who might have more experience or might know a little bit more about this subject. It's so true. Let's, let's move on from Lower Decks, though, and talk about Voyager and Seven of Nine. Uh, this in particular is from uh, Dark Frontier, but really all of Seven of Nine's journey on Voyager is about finding her place in a community, which winds up being Voyager. We're not sure if that's gonna be the case when she joins the ship. She is trying so hard to get back to the only thing she's ever known, to the Borg Collective, but we see her come to appreciate it so much more. We see it leading up to this point. We see it in one, when she's alone on the ship, and she's, hallucinating other people because she is feeling truly alone from possibly the first time. But it's in Dark Frontier that she reiterates over and over again, these are the people I belong with. These are the people who are helping me. These are the people I want to go back to. I'm Team 7. And I say that as somebody who was not Team 7 initially, right? Like I was very much very critical of the whole uh, you know, just the imagery of her. I was like, what is this? Who asked for a board Barbie? I didn't ask for a board Barbie. But then getting to know Seven and really through our conversations on Women at Warp, learning that like, hey, she's complex. She's a person. She's got Stockholm Syndrome. She's got PTSD. She didn't ask to be built that way. She's just drawn that way and y'all can get over it because she's a scientist first and foremost. You know what I mean? So um, seeing Seven fit in anywhere is like really important to me because for so long she didn't fit in anywhere and the squad that she did fit in with wasn't cool like you can't just be like Borg life without people looking at you like that's not (laughs) that's not the flex you think it is you might want to be quiet you might want to stop talking it wasn't without trial either and that that's the really beautiful thing about Voyager we saw her butt heads with Bolana. we saw her butt heads with Janeway we saw her butt heads with the rest of the crew but they didn't let her go and they didn't give up on her yeah and she didn't give up either it goes both ways right and I, I grew to like relate to Seven too. Sometimes being the one who who knows what you're talking about and not having the the luxury of time to have uh, pleasantries, mm-hmm. right? Those pleasantries are super important. Like they're what keep us connected as human beings, and they are to be observed. Like especially if you're running a team or working with a lot of people, and everybody's like on their p's and q's the way that they have to in a ship scenario. Um, and I know that at times I could be like, yay, you know let's go. And people are like, I'm a person. <laughs> I have had a day and you're just barking orders at me. Like, so just seeing her be someone who can be quote unquote labeled an abrasive personality type, find community with a bunch of other abrasive personality types. If you talk about Bellana, holy cats, um, is just really impactful and important. It's a great example. Is this me? Yeah, oh, that's the babies. Uh, look at baby Jake. Shout out to Aaron Eisenberg. Mm by the way. Um, So the storyteller, um, I think believe that's like second or third season of Deep Space Nine. And uh, I... No, was it first? Okay. 
Okay, great. Whenever it was, it happened, and uh, this actually was the subplot of this episode. The main arc was Julian and O'Brien beaming down to a a Bajoran colony and assuming some weird deity thing. It was bizarre. It was just a ploy for them to be friends. We all know they're besties now. Um, But this subplot here focused on Varys Sol, who's the girl in the middle. She's a tetriarch of a small Bajoran pact called the Paku, and they were basically having a land dispute with their neighbors. Typical people things, right? Um, She was very stuck to her guns, so to speak. She wasn't trying to wiggle for anybody, especially not some dusty old dude who wanted her father's land. And Cisco tried to do the best he could to mediate the conversation and be respectful of what everybody wanted and needed and all that fun stuff. Um, But she wasn't hearing it. She wasn't hearing it from him, but she was hearing it from Jake. She was hearing it from Nog. And I picked this episode because it not only shines light on the importance of young voices and young experiences, because a lot of times they can be unjaded and uh, full of wisdom beyond their years, or at least insight that we don't give them enough credit for. Uh, In this case, particularly Nog, uh, helped her see this challenge as more of an opportunity than an actual obstacle. And it was that shifting of his mindset, of her mindset, that enabled her to come to a peaceful resolution with her dusty behind neighbor, right? Um, but it was also neat because up until, this was probably about the turning point that Ben Sisko was still dealing with his prejudices against Ferengi and was really resistant to have his one and only son be friends with the one and only Ferengi boy on the station. So anytime we have an opportunity to have a member of a marginalized community challenge their own prejudices. I'm always going to be here for that because those are difficult conversations that need to happen. Otherwise, we can't have the bigger conversation. Um, but in this instance, particularly, seeing Ben Sisko, the end-all, be-all emissary, have to sit that back and like examine himself and realize where he could be a better person so that he could be a better commander and a better father and a better emissary and all that stuff um, was really poignant for that character. And I think one of those moments that made Deep Space Nine so good because you had so many different opposing points of view and so many polarized opinions about so many different things. And here's this dude just trying to raise his son on this raggedy, dusty, crusty, broke-behind station in the middle of nowhere, um, really having to mediate that and and try to make sure that everybody's feelings and uh, circumstances are being observed. It was kind of tangential, sorry guys. (laughs) No, I think it's a really important thing to point out ageism in this sense. I mean, Mm -hmm. we talk about it in people discounting the elderly quite often, but uh, my experience in fandom has been that people, when they assume you're young, they also assume they can discount your opinion. Right. Um, Which is incorrect. Whether you've been a fan for a day or for 38 years, like me, your, your opinion is just as valid. So, Elio. So, The Wounded. TNG's The Wounded. Um, this, this particular episode is unique in that, um, well, for starters, you know, it, it mostly deals with that, the concept of post-war, right? When two factions are, have battled and what happens after, right? There's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of hate on both sides. Um, but what I, what I wanted to apply from this episode to this conversation was the handling of Maxwell. Maxwell's, Mac, Captain Maxwell's going through some serious cognitive dissonance, right? He believes with, in, in, without a shadow of a doubt that the Cardassians are still up to something. 
right? And I think that if we look back at the last four, six years, um, we might have had those kind of conversations with people, right? People who have um, really just held on to some archaic beliefs, some very hateful, bigoted feelings, and how do you approach them, right? Do you argue with them? Do you ignore them? Do you not address them? And I think that Miles is also experiencing a little bit of this himself, right? He fought the Cardassians, right? He has this whole monologue when he's conversing with the other Cardassian about, it's not you that I hate, Cardassian. It's, it's what <laughs> I became because of you, mm-hmm. right? Um, but again, going back specifically with, with the way Picard handles Maxwell, um, I want to quote um, a couple of lines here. Um, when engaging with somebody who's that, who has that much anger, who has that much resentment in them that they almost just don't want to hear it, you know, there's, that, there's a scene uh, in the ready room where uh, O'Brien's brought in and, the, and he and, and Gold Cassette, I forget his name, the one played by. Uh, Did you Mark call him Gold Cassette? Gold Cassette, yeah, Gold Cassette. <laughs> Rewind him um, with a pencil. <laughs> they start going at it and Picard has to interject and be like, let's, let's put emotion aside and stick to the facts. Right, and then later on, he's having a conversation with um, O'Brien in the turbo lift, and he says to O'Brien, "I think, quote, I think, when one has been angry for a very long time, one gets used to it, and it becomes comfortable, like old leather, and finally, it becomes so familiar that one can't remember ever feeling any other way." And I think we're seeing that a lot, as, you know, since 2016, uh, especially on social media that there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of resentment, there's a lot of hatred, and how do you cut through that? And especially with somebody dealing with their own cognitive dissonance about you know, some very nasty things, right? Um, there, you know, you'll find articles online on how to talk to somebody who's you know, down that path, um, and Picard actually uses one of these techniques on Maxwell. When Maxwell's finally in Picard's ready room, Maxwell's going off about the Cardassians. They're, they've, they're collecting this, and Picard's like, do you have documentation? And, no, but they've killed lives. What lives? The, uh, the ones out there. Who? Why? He goes, why? That was a classic. That, the, the hard that H. Sir Pat throws that at, hard age. at, uh, yes, at uh, Maxwell. Um, but, you know, that, again, Picard exemplifies, you know, the diplomat, right? The person who's trying to keep emotion out of it while still trying to bring two groups together. And again, you know, reflecting this on our own community, on our own Star Trek community, we're going to have differences of opinions. And some people's opinions can be incredibly toxic. And they live in their own world, seemingly their own world. Um, so how do you engage? Well, take a lesson out of Picard's book. A- ask questions. Try to get them, them to see the flaw in their own logic. You know? And just like Maxwell, Maxwell got fluttered and you know, immediately re- you know, uh, reverted back to insulting Picard. It smells musty in here, like a bureaucrat, uh, bureaucrat's office. That's his retort to Picard, because Picard's got him. Got him. He's got him. Simple as that. Um, 
Yeah, I, you know, I th again, I think that uh, Picard just exemplifies how to kind of navigate those difficult conversations in this episode. I, I will say that not all of us are Picard, though. No. Right? <laughs> and... Um, That's when the block party comes out. <laughs> yeah, really. A block party is lit all the time. Um, I, I will say, to kind of piggyback on, on what you were saying, Elio, it is uh, admirable, right, to aspire to have the patience to, you know, question somebody who's being away, <laughs> you know, and try to help them understand not only the error of their ways, but also where you're coming from and, and all that fun stuff as well. But there is absolutely, to that point, nothing wrong with protecting your own peace mm. and not engaging yeah. people who are committed to misunderstanding you, right? There are folks who just don't tweet well, right? They just don't, they, the 120 characters, they can't conceptualize what they're trying to say in a, in a way that makes it easy to understand, and that, and that happens. And there's definitely moments to picard those situations. But when someone's being shitty, pardon my French, there's no kids in here, right? If someone's being shitty, like, <laughs> I reserve the right to, to not be Picard on that. I, I might, you know, I've been known to take off a pip or, or two <laughs> when it comes to dealing with some unsightly people, but you can use your own discretion, right? right? Yeah. Not everybody deserves photon torpedoes all the time. Some folks don't even deserve a warning shot off the port bow. Mm -hmm. Some folks you just kind of have to evasively maneuver around and go about your business. Um, I think there's a call you need to make with those people yeah. of whether they will engage with you in good faith. Right. And that's when perhaps, not always, they might be worth more of your time. Yeah. But so, not always. So use your discretion. While as Trek fans, we have the tools to Picard our way out of shitty situations and terrible conversations. It's okay to be Kira Reese sometimes and just leave. That's my, that's my genteel way of... But as, as we, we were talking at the beginning, that members of a community are interested in its growth and its health. Right. I mean, it, it can also be argued that the people who behave that way are not Genuinely part aren't. of the community. Yeah. Right, right, right. So you do not engage with lesser <laughs> developed civilizations or members. It is against the prime directive. We can't uh, do a Star Trek panel without talking about Star Trek period, the original series. Um, I pulled up Journey to Babel just because, I mean, DC Fontana, excellent episode. Yeah. But um, here we have, we've, we've got our, our founding members of the Federation on their way to a conference. We've got uh, the disagreement between Spock and Sarek, and similar actually to Seven of Nine and what I was talking about. We have Spock standing his ground and saying, I made the right choice for me in joining, in going to Starfleet Academy and joining Starfleet and being here on this ship. And it, it doesn't matter so much to me, Dad, if you don't approve of that. Um, and that is, is Spock finding his community. And this is, it, you know, it's showing us on an individual level and it's showing us, even though there's some, you know, shenanigans happening for the story of the episode, it's showing us on a, a grander scale of how you build a larger community by working together despite your differences. And that's what, what you know, the, everyone's doing for the Federation. Which brings us to Star Trek Discovery. Uh, as we referenced at the very start uh, with the quote, pretty much all of Discovery was about finding connection and finding community in season three. Yeah, and I feel like... Discovery's biggest flex is that it flushed out all of the people who were 
somehow Trek fans and bigots, right? You could, it was like a litmus test to see who has accepted the course of humanity for what it is and all of its nuances and all of its different facets and everyone included in the intersections and who is still stuck in 1966, you know what I mean? Like, you can you can tell because of discovery who those people are and it's just like, on the one hand, you wanna help them, right? Because these, are, in some cases, are elders in the community, so you wanna be like, hey, you know, Disco did a great job of being like, hey, Things are changing. We know it's weird. I'll hold your hand and we can walk through this together. And you want that, ideally, for for elders in the community. But there are some who snatch their hands away because they don't want to learn. They don't want to come into the 32nd century. They don't want to be accepting of the fact that, you know, people use different pronouns. They don't want to be accepting of of all the different complexities that make the human experience what it is. Um, And... you you can't solve a problem without being able to isolate it, right? Kind of what Colbert was saying, like, we'll be okay, but we have Wilson. to first admit. Um, what huh? what, what I, Wilson was saying. Well, Colbert said it too. We're, right. we're going to be okay. Fair. <laughs> right? Yeah. Am I getting my, my actor and my character confused? Because me and Wilson go back, so like, I'd be forgetting. <laughs> um, basically, the, the, like, the crew's going to be okay. They just have to admit that they're not okay first, right? And part of making sure that intersectional diversity and infinite combinations is explored is if we can admit there are issues in the community. We have to admit that there are people who, you know, have complications when it comes to making space for folks who don't look and, and live like them. Um, so unless we, we talk about that, unless Discovery flushes those people out, unless they get loud on Twitter or Facebook or whatever and reveal themselves for the bigotry and the hatred in the hearts that they have, then we'll never be able to have the difficult discussion and bring them into the 21st or in this case the 20, or the 32nd century. God, it feels good to say Star Trek's in the 32nd century. That feels good. I don't know about y'all. I'm glad that we out of the 20s, we were getting a little messy there. You know, I think this <laughs> Discovery is in a unique position um, when compared to other iterations of Star Trek because we are growing with the characters, right? At the start of the season, Burnham was the odd one out. You know, Tilly didn't know how to interact with her. She was afraid of her, right? That, that we, If you think back to that scene where Tilly finds out that uh, Burnham's her... her uh, roommate um and so throughout the course of discovery what we see throughout the characters is everybody bringing their own to the table bringing their own talents and abilities to the table some contention right we think of saru and burnham after uh after burnham betrays saru in terms of uh what happened uh, on the shenzo um but throughout, the, throughout those, these three seasons, what we see is the crew bringing to the table their different perspectives in order to get it done, right? To get out of the situation and, more importantly, to help each other. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what happens with Stamets. Stamets is very upset. He has been hurt personally. Uh, by not you know by uh, Cobra and by Burnham, right? How is he going to put that anger aside, or rather process it? Process it, right? Mm-hmm. How is he going to process it 
so that then he can come back into the family, right? So that they can be a family again. How will everybody handle being thrust into the, the 30th century um, and whatnot? So as we talk about this, we talk about examples from Star Trek. How do we apply this? How, what have, have we as a uh, as podcast done, as, I mean, community leaders, what have we done? And, and how do we as members You can take those air quotes away. I think we've earned that. <laughs> do it. As, as Gene Roddenberry says, everybody in this room, I'm sure, has seen these quotes before. But if we cannot learn to actually enjoy those small differences, to take a positive delight in those small differences between our own kind here on this planet, then we do not deserve to go out into space and meet the diversity that is almost certainly out there. So we're going to talk a little bit about the things that we've tried to do in the community, and then we're going to talk about what I think we all can do in the community. Um, and just this past summer, Women at War hosted the Etic Podcast Festival the very first time. Uh, Kennedy, do you want to talk about it a little bit? It was lit. <laughs> it was lit. You guys should have been there. Um, I was very, very pleased with the group of people that we were able to assemble, um, primarily because everybody came from a different walk of life. Everybody's experiences were different. So everybody's uh, contributions to the fandoms are going to be different. Everybody's uh, impressions of this one body of work was vastly different. Um, one of my favorite things about Trek being accessible now to people via the internet and with there being new shows on the air finally for the first time in years is that there's so many different takes on this one thing that we all love and all of these groups here did a fantastic job of, of getting into the, the nitties and the gritties and seeing you know what made Star Trek special for them um, and it was great because you know, it put other people on, you know what I mean? Other folks who perhaps didn't know about Sci-Fi Sisters or um, Out of Orbit or any of those other shows, like, were finally able to get connected with those people and build community even further. Our, our sort of tagline for this event was celebrating the diversity in Star Trek podcasting, not the diversity in Star Trek. So we weren't looking for you know, session submissions of diversity in space. We were looking for people who, I'll just say it, weren't a bunch of white men on a podcast talking about the same things, talking about what they talk about with Star Trek. Do what you do and let us put it on our channels and, and amplify what we can. It was great. <laughs> like, it was just like, and I, I say that objectively as well, because, I mean, we weren't on the entire time. Mm -hmm. It was a whole weekend. We, had, we did one show, um, right? Yeah. Because we opened and we had opening and closing ceremonies as well. So we did, like, interact on the platform in that way, but widely we weren't performing the entire time. So it was great to see other people. It was great to step back. Mm -hmm. And I... I took so much joy in stepping back and giving that platform to somebody who didn't necessarily have access to it before. I can't imagine not wanting other people with other perspectives and opposing points of view to have that same opportunity as well. I mean, you said it best. If your Star Trek podcast lineup does, has like all white male, you're doing it wrong. And like this was an incredible example of that because there's just so many different types of people talking about so many different things within the same John, it was fire. Well, yeah, very, very early on with Women at Warp, uh, another you know, feminist Star Trek podcast got started, and somebody tweeted us and said, like, essentially, like, somebody's stepping in on your jam here. Somebody's stealing your thunder. I'm like, no, they're not. 
plenty of track to go around. Like, please do it. <laughs> Let us know if we can help you. Mm. You know, there's there's plenty of track to go around. There's no reason. Nobody's stepping on anybody's toes. Do your thing. And like, do you think for a second that that any any of those other people we're talking about ever thought maybe I shouldn't start a podcast? There are already plenty like the one I want to do. Not a second. If you want to get out there and have your voice be heard, do it and let us know how we can help you. Right. So, but what about you, Elio? Yeah, so Priority One uh, celebrated its 500th episode, 10 years of podcasting uh, this year. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Um, and so, yo soy Latino, soy Cubano. My family comes from Cuba. I'm first generation American, first one born here. Um, and I knew that in celebrating, I, you know, we had to give back to the community somehow. Uh, we did a 500-minute live stream. Uh, what was that? March on uh, March 13th, uh, we had several guests from uh, across the Star Trek multiverse: uh, Isa Briones, Evan Evagora, um, uh, JG, not JG Hertzler, uh, Bob O'Reilly, to name a few. Um, but the goal was not just not not just to celebrate and pat ourselves on the back for 500 episodes, but to give back, right? We are, a, we, Priority One is a volunteer organization. All of us, nobody gets paid on the show. We all contribute what we can to produce it each and every week. Um, we're supported by our patrons on Patreon, and this 500th was about making sure that we were making an impact in some way to some community. And during COVID, communities that are, marginalized and underserved have taken the brunt of what has what what COVID has uh, delivered um, and the poor people's campaign is a phenomenal organization that supports these under underserved communities to provide the necessary care and uh, resources that they need to get through something like COVID um, you know, we fortunately we have you know the, the the priority one podcast team is is uh, is great. We all rallied together to put this to to, to get this done. Uh, we reached out to um, the representatives from the Poor People's Campaign, and they were really excited. We raised over four thousand uh, dollars that day in five in five hundred uh, minutes. So yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, but it was all the community, the community, our listeners watch the live stream, they watch the, the videos and the, the interviews, uh, and they were inspired to give back. Um, not to Priority One, but to an organization that's really doing the work. That's really doing the work. Uh, it was a privilege, it was an absolute privilege. This whole experience has always been a privilege for me. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's... <laughs> awesome. We've got some some ongoing things as well when, we, when it comes to community. Uh, just really quickly, because I do want to get to maybe some Q&A or some conversation here. Uh, Women at Warp also has a blog that is up at all time and always is looking for writers. We do also, because artists deserve to be paid, we do also offer a stipend to our writers, um, provided from our Patreon. <laughs> so uh, we, we want to have as many people as possible contribute and tell us what they think about Star Trek and tell us their experiences. And you know we don't shy away if, if some person writes a blog and somebody else comes back and says, I feel differently about that episode, I want to blog about it too. We're like, all right, as long as you're not disrespectful to the previous writer, we want to hear what you have to say too. So we're, we're trying to put as many voices into the conversation and amplify those voices as possible. 
Yes, yeah, so priority one uh, for the last 10 years has had a strong focus on gaming. You know, we've had, like I said earlier, we have a very close relationship with uh, Cryptic Studios. We've had the devs on countless times over the years. Um, and so if you're a gamer or are interested in gaming, uh, Star Trek Online is a, you know, a, a relatively accessible way of getting your feet wet into Star Trek, the Star Trek gaming community. Uh, Star Trek Online is also 10 years old. Uh, we've been doing it since they announced that their game was uh, going to be launched. Um, and we have a, an armada, it's a guild, right? If, you're, if you have other uh, gaming nomenclature in your head, um, where we all get together periodically to do things in the game. We you know, give away uh, items and whatnot. Um, specifically with Star Trek Online and, and how the community can get together, uh, up on the screen are two events that happened in Star Trek Online. Uh, on the right is when Leonard Nimoy passed away. Uh, Leonard Nimoy lent his voice to the game uh, as, as Spock. Um, and when he passed away, everybody congregated in the game on Vulcan. Uh, a memorial was later erected uh, that, that uh, a statue of Leonard Nimoy as Spock was later uh, put up in the game. Uh, but when Leonard Nimoy passed away, everybody flooded to Vulcan to get together and celebrate his life. Um, again, when Aaron Eisenberg passed, pa Aaron Eisenberg passed away and Rene Abergenois, uh, people gathered on Deep Space Nine. Everybody's holding up the you know, tiki torches. And it's not just for um, when a Star Trek alum passes away. When you're a part of a community, like a gaming community, you start to be, you, you become friends, right? Some, you know, I'm, maybe you've, I'm sure you've heard of stories of you know, gaming friends on Xbox that met for the first time after 10 years and whatnot. Same thing happens in the Star Trek gaming community. And one example uh, was one of our fleet mates passed away. Um, it was, he was a very active member of our community, always willing to lend a hand, always willing to help not only the podcast, but our own gaming community. His name was Airborne. Uh, and passed away suddenly. And we went into the game on, uh, to uh, Starfleet Academy where they had a um, eternal flame for previous actors who have passed away, and we held a vigil. We held a vigil to, to celebrate his life. You know, he wasn't an actor, but he was an important member of our community, and we wanted to celebrate his life and remember him. Um, so you can find that level of intimacy, I'm gonna say intimacy, with other members of a community even if it's just gaming. So, how do you get involved? How do you join up? How do you find somebody? There are lots of ways, just a couple up here on, on the slide. Um, I can speak for New York City. There is the New York City Star Trek meetup group. I'm sure there are some members in this room. There's also the New York City away team. And yeah, some of the same members in this room. Um, there is the official fan club, there's Starfleet. I don't think there's an active group in Manhattan, but I know there is one on Long Island. So there are ways to get involved locally. We're still in the middle of a global pandemic, however, so you don't may not necessarily want to be going to bars and hanging out with people quite yet. Uh, that's where online comes in. I spelled Tumblr with an E. Wow, I'm going to assume that's autocorrect. Um, but there, there are Star Trek communities on all of these online spaces. There are Star Trek communities in gaming, in, in Stowe, in Star Trek timelines, in Star Trek Adventures, the role-playing game. Um, you can write, you can make poems, you can create. 
there are so many different ways. How did each of you first get involved in the Star Trek community way before podcasting? In the Star Trek community? Oh yeah. Gosh, I was born into it, man. Like, <laughs> my mom was a big fan uh, because my grandfather wouldn't let her change the channel one day when she was 10. Um, and he was into it because he was, uh, he was a military guy, so like that resonated with him. My mom raised me in it. I grew up going to cons. Um, I would say my earliest con memory was meeting Will Wheaton mm. on the, f Will Wheaton. Um, <laughs> I just saw him like on the con floor and was like, oh my God. And then we went into his autograph line and he was like, oh my God. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so there was always in my experience been, you know, a, a call for community and, and at least folks who, it's not like a, a fandom where folks don't want to be friends, right? Because those fandoms exist somehow. Um, everybody that I've ever encountered has always been like with it. There's been a little gatekeeping, but you know, we don't do that. We don't do that anymore. Mm -mm. I, podcasting was how I got into the Star Trek community. Um, nah, that's not exactly, that's not totally true. Um, Growing up, I would watch it, and my my mother, I remember her telling me that she that she watched it growing up and had a crush on Spock. Because um, I mean, <laughs> it was the it was the it was the lineup for me. But Mike my grandparents always. were like, "Qué es este Star Trek? El Spock ese? El Spock? ¿Te gusta eso? Pero eso es Enterprise." And so I had to like I had to you know explain it to them. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, yeah, Priority One, where I got, and, and Star Trek Online, because I, uh, back then I gamed more than I do now, but I was very much into gaming and MMOs and whatnot, and uh, Star Trek Online is the pathway that led me here. I went to my first convention in August of 1994. However where I joined the Star Trek community was on a little place called Alt Star Trek Creative. And I was into fan fiction for a very long time. Somebody's clapping for ASC. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, probably uh, some other variations of ASC that I shouldn't have been in at that age. But um, yeah, so I, I came in through, through fan fiction. That's where I met a lot of my really longtime friends, I was, I was young, like I said, I was too young to be in some of these message boards, but the, the thing about the fanfic community for me is that there was, at least at that time, a culture of mentorship. Mm. People would help you be a better writer, they'd help you be a better person, um, I eventually wound up joining a listserv for a particular ship, and <laughs> stop it. And, uh, but but some of the the other women on that listserv became lifelong friends for me, lifelong mentors for me. Some worked at NASA. We were talking about lawyers, scientists, and these were people who you know when I got to college and wasn't sure if I wanted to stay at the school I was at that I would call in crisis mode. You know, there, there are people who I still talk to, and we've been friends for 30 years, wow. you know, because of, because of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of incredible. I want to amend my answer. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first time I felt Trek community-like, for me, I'm experiencing it on my own, experiencing it on my own, had to be through, through Women at Warp and joining Trek Twitter, mm -hmm. right? Because that other experience about growing up in cons was just like, atmospheric right mm -hmm. if your parents do a thing is it really yours 
Um, but Trek Twitter is wild. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many of you tweet, how many of you use the Bird app, but Trek Twitter is wild. There is no meme game like the Star Trek community's meme game. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. We can fight outside about it if you want. Um, but just seeing how, not only how many different uh, interpretations of Trek there are through Twitter, but also seeing the mentorship that exists, um, not only in that immediate space, but like mentorship to folks from other countries has mm -hmm. been really neat to see. Mentoring um, younger fans from other countries is super cool to be able to do, let alone to see it happen. Um, and to see, you know, some some older fans who are like coming around, you know what I mean? And, and seeing that growth that way, I think is is tremendous and also being knowing that I don't have to be the one to jump down someone's throat if they act up in the comments like someone else has beaten <laughs> me to it is is kind of great I could just kind of sit there and swirl the drink you know just sip the tea well we talked about that a little bit and we've only got a couple minutes left so how to act act good don't don't we we talked about it don't beat we your talking. best friend with the <laughs> with the lance Blow I mean, thing. I had to. Come on, but you talked about it in talking about Darmok, about how we we talk to each other, how we oh, yeah. speak to each other. Um, we've got some more Gene Roddenberry quotes. We've all, we've got less than ten minutes. We don't need more quotes. So, my favorite picture. I always use this picture when I have a question slide for a Star Trek panel. Oh, protect, we want to know at all costs. Uh, what what's going on in in your brains out here. Tell us your favorite example of a community in Star Trek. If you have questions for us, let us know when you first felt Star Trek community. If you're looking for a community for a particular thing, maybe we can point you in the right direction. Any discussion out here? Yes. Yeah. Um, I've always, Absolutely. so my grandparents were Japanese, and like, so similarly, I kind of just Three generations. Three Is that my friend? That's my friend. Hi, friend. Hey, friend, hi. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've always been in like, Tapping into the intergenerational nature of track, I think like, you know, my dad is literally just on the phone like, oh, are you going to go? And I'm like, yes, dad, I'm going to go do the thing. <laughs> um, but like, because we are in person, because we spend a lot of time on the bird app or the clock app or whatever, you know, folks like my dad and my mom, who will argue you down about like iterations of time, are not, don't necessarily have access to some of the spaces um, that we have because we are like, yelling at each other on the bird app. And so I, I'm always interested in like, how we can start to bridge some of that, those intergenerational gaps so that, like, I don't know if I'll ever read my dad's top time. That sounds like a lot. Um, but like, what, are the, what are ways that I can kind of be like, oh, mom, you should listen to this podcast, or dad, you should read this blog. Um, I would say, and I just, I literally just experienced this. Um, just having the conversation, having the patience to have the conversation is the hard part because on the bird app and the top and the clock app, we could just like block the person and not be dealing with it. But when it comes to family and friends who, you know, don't understand that Adira uses they them pronouns, you have to have not only that conversation with them, but also like the bigger conversation. So I, I used Adira as a specific example because I was telling my mom about this nerdy ass song I wrote. And, you know, specifically using Adira's pronouns in that song 
to help people who are struggling with it still, you know? Like, here's a way to remember what their pronouns are. And this is a person who not only raised me in science fiction and horror, raised me alongside the LGBTQIA community, raised me in theater, like, raised me to be an open-minded, accepting, at the very least, tolerant person. Um, this person's struggling with the fact that you have to call Adira they them. And, and I had to, like resist the urge to to roast my mom you know what I mean like I had to like not react like it was the bird app and like take my time and do the emotional labor so that's the part that kind of sucks is it, it does take a little bit of work of explaining to her like hey all of those marches that you did when you were in college all of those conventions that you went to when I was a kid all of those protests that you were at this is what it's for like this is what it's culminated to and yes I understand it's hard and change is difficult but it's happening and and you the best the sooner you can get with the program the sooner we can get to the 32nd century I think too, uh, part of it, bridging that gap, is it's not just on bringing older fans to our time. It's about understanding their fandom. Uh, and I think as a, a lot of younger fans, not newer maybe, um, don't have all the history, don't know about the fanzines and the literal marches to save Star Trek and the letter writing campaign. So I think as, as those of us who didn't experience Enjoy. that, Right. learn more about what fandom was before the internet and even in the early days of the internet, we can better say, hey, remember all those zines you wrote into? That's like this message board. Mm, hey, remember submitting your, your letter your, for your letter zine? That's like Twitter. Remember those flame wars you got into? They still happen. They're right. just on the computer now. Right, right, you right. Know? So it's all... It, it's nothing is new, right? It's all been done before. It was really just in a different medium. And I think when we can Thank you, relate those things together, I think that's what helps us. And it's like, like so much of this, it's from both sides. So we have one minute left. And uh, like what's question. up? Uh, I was just going to say, uh, I've been playing uh, the Star Trek League Command global game. Oh, nice. And there's a lot of different, like there's people that spend a lot of money or people that are free to play. And we've had people in different alliances, an enemy or whatever, that they passed away or family on. And yeah. people have sent like their ships to make out. Like one of them was in the military, so we made out like a USMC, or we made like, like a heart or whatever. So it's even on like community events that yeah. we don't even know each other. And yeah, absolutely. We can spend thousands of hours on the game, but they'll still show their support. But it's, it's, you know, I've never really played. Absolutely. Yeah, I never met Airborne. I never got a chance to meet him personally, and uh, but I knew him, you know. And uh, just because we never broke bread together doesn't mean that uh, that friendship wasn't wasn't real. Um, so we got like 30 seconds left. I want everybody to take out their phone and open their podcast app, <laughs> do a search for Roddenberry, and then subscribe. Right? We were already subscribed to the Roddenberry Podcast Network, right? So, uh, yeah, you can find us on uh, any... Yep, right there. Boom. Yep, our, our websites and socials are up there. Uh, do you have any business cards? Women at Warp has some cards here up on the table. Uh, do you, did you bring any? Elio forgot. It's cool. That's why he just yelled at you to bring out your, your podcast in. <laughs> Thanks so much. We hope, uh, if you weren't a listener before, we hope you'll become a listener. Uh, come and talk to us. Thank you so much. Yay! Gracias. Buen día.
This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.